Grace to you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior Jesus. The one who is able. The one who is able to do more than we ask or think. And we'll get back to those words during this message today. We're beginning a new series for the month of August. We're going to talk about miracles. Um, The texts over the next couple of weeks um, are about miraculous things that, that God does. Jesus healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cast out demons. He fed the whole crowd twice. He walked on water. He calmed the storm. So the question that we need to reflect on is what do we expect him to do? What do we expect him to do today in our times, in our lives? What do we expect from Jesus? There's a a type of photography that's called forced perspective, where something's in the foreground and something's in the background, but the way that it's framed, it's a bit obscured. And um, we've played with this a little bit. Um, I should have pulled the pictures in so I could put them on the screen for you and show you, but um, there's a a building in Dubai. It's uh, called the Sailboat. It it has this curved... um, wall on one side and the other side is straight. So it kind of looks like a sailboat from the distance. And then at the top is an antenna. Well, we were f- pretty far from that building standing on a beach. Um, this is back when we went to, um, to Central Asia and visited missionaries that we support there. And on the way back, we had some time in Dubai. And so we were on a beach and the city was in the distance and you could see that sailboat building. And, and a, a person we were with um, suggested that we do it. So we did. Um, If you hold your fingers just right, like this, it can look like you're holding that building up. When we were in um, another place, we we made it look, uh, we had Drew kind of go a bit further away and and held out a hand, and then he held one up, and it made it look like he was holding on, um, but tiny. And um, these, these kind of photographs, you can find them if you just... Search for forced perspective. You'll find numerous examples of people making it look like they're holding the sun or the moon or holding. I've seen people holding up the Leaning Tower of Pisa, which is pretty funny, too. When we see those, what we what we can recognize is that what we see isn't necessarily reality. I mean, you know that those people aren't holding up the Leaning Tower of Pisa. You know that um, that your our son isn't you know this big and holding on to my hand somehow. You know I'm not holding up a building with my fingers. So that forced perspective um, shows us that we judge based on appearances, that our minds automatically um, evaluate based on what we see. And it isn't always the truth. It isn't always right. It isn't always reality. Today, in our text, we encounter unseen abundance. Sometimes in our lives, there are obvious limitations. Obvious limits to the things we have, to the things that we do. Resources can be scarce. I've heard stories from... uh, my dad, mostly, about during World War II, how there was rationing of various 
um, supplies and materials, that they couldn't get more than so much gas, that tires were hard to come by, that various supplies and resources were limited in order that they would be available for the war effort, which was important. In the 1970s, when I was young, I remember a time when gas prices were escalating quickly and there was a shortage and so there were lines in various places. And, and for the most part, um, I've seen pictures of that. I don't remember sitting in gas lines, at least not many or not long. We've probably all seen images of empty shelves following or in anticipation of like a, a major storm. When there's a hurricane about to strike Florida and people go and they wipe out the bread aisle and the water and various things are just completely gone because... People are concerned about availability. Or maybe where there's been political upheaval or economic struggle, and so people go and, and gather those supplies. In the 2010s, locally, um, with a drought in California, there was a limit to the amount of water that we were supposed to use or try to use, and, and irrigation was assigned based on your address, and certain days you could water your grass, and um, the rest of the time you weren't supposed to and you know I remember walking dogs when we first got our dogs and walking past some yards and thinking that person has very green grass not sure how they're doing that that was the 2010s then we get to 2020 and it's toilet paper <laughs> and other supplies like paper towels and disinfecting wipes and hand sanitizer this pandemic that created um, first, it seemed, uh, uh, almost panic shopping that people wanted to go and, and collect. Um, I don't know why toilet paper, because this is not a gastrointestinal issue. So if you get it, I don't think you need extra supply. But for some reason, that was scarce and hard to come by. I don't think it is anymore. I think we're doing okay now. But I've been, um, when we were on our trip, I, I went to a store and we were out of paper towels. We were in a pop-up camper. All I wanted was one or maybe two rolls of paper towels. I went to the aisle where those paper supplies were, and there were, you know, stacks and shelves of packs of six and nine and 12 or whatever. But where the one and two roll packs were, empty. Maybe a lot of people were camping because you could do that in Oregon a, uh, a couple of weeks ago. I Pretty sure you still can. Um, and so maybe it was just other campers that were coming and buying one and two rolls at a time. I ended up buying six rolls of paper towels. We brought it home, so we'll use it. Resources can be scarce. So when we look at what we have, sometimes we evaluate accurately that there's a scarcity of our resources, but we often underestimate our supply. We often underestimate what we have or think that we need to have more than we have. John D. Rockefeller, who was um, the founder of Standard Oil, one of, um, and the, the primary shareholder became um, or is known as the wealthiest man in America ever to live. Um, a reporter asked him one time, Mr. Rockefeller, how much is enough? And his reply was, just a little more than I have. This is John D. Rockefeller. I mean, the man 
you know, in today's dollars may have been a trillionaire, uh, super wealthy, but he wanted to have just a little more. We don't have enough. I felt that way. I felt like maybe I don't have enough. Will I have enough to do what I want to do in the future? Do I have enough? Can I afford to do a certain thing or purchase a certain um, thing that I even want? Can I share from what I have because I'm not sure if I share what I have that I'll be able to get it again? Um, what about, have you ever asked that question, thinking about what you have and then have this what about question. What about, now it's important to have things, it's important to you know, have some assets and have some resources and maybe a rainy day fund, an emergency fund. Those things are important. Being prepared is important to do. But it seems a lot of times like, we've, like we take that and think we have to be prepared for every scenario that might come up. And that we have to, in, in some ways, almost be worried about what ifs. There have been times I've, I've felt like maybe I don't have enough. And sometimes I've been, you know, kind of cash poor but never really broke. I, I've never had to wonder, where's my next meal possibly come from? Where am I going to have to go in order to get some food? I've never had to worry about that. Maybe you have, and if so, you know better than I do about actually being limited, actually not having enough. We got back uh, about a week and a half ago now from the trip that we took. And so you know how, you know, when you've been out of town and you come back, then there's some basics that now you're out of, right? Because the milk that was in the fridge when you left isn't really milk anymore. It's turning into something different. Um, maybe cheese. I don't know how long you have to wait for that. but So we needed milk and eggs and some perishables. And so this week, um, placed a couple of orders we're rarely going into the store, so we're preferring delivery just to avoid um, the, the confined spaces, and et cetera. So, so we place a couple of orders and, you know, from a couple stores, and there were five dozen eggs and two gallons of milk and cheese and breads and meat and sausages and hot dogs and lettuce and bananas and our pantry and our refrigerator full, stocked. And we have two refrigerators. The one that's in the garage, that was initially, that was going to be the, the beverage refrigerator, the, kind of the overflow fridge. And now both our refrigerators are pretty well full. We have an abundance. Leftover chicken, lasagna, melons, eggs, butter. The freezer is stocked with meats. This is all in the garage fridge now. Frozen soups, broth, much, much more. I actually asked Paula... When's the party? <laughs> One, because, wow, wouldn't it be kind of fun to have a party? <laughs> uh, but also because that's when, usually when we're about to entertain, that's when things are, are kind of overflowing. You know, we get extra supplies and, and extra things that we gather, and there's some preparations. And so there's trays of things in the garage fridge because there's some appetizers ready and a vegetable tray that's ready to go out and that kind of thing. Sometimes we underestimate what we have or we think we're restricted or we, we feel like we don't maybe have quite enough, even in this 
even in, in an abundance. But either way, in abundance or scarcity, we have limited expectations. Think of the disciples in this, in this scene. And this text, this feeding of the 5,000, this is the only miracle that's in all four Gospels. Um, some of the miracles are just in one. Many of them are in multiple. Um, the healings, raising the dead appears in, in different Gospels. But this one, feeding the 5,000, appears in all four. So it's come up a number of times, and it's probably a story that's, that's familiar, likely. And in this, the disciples understood their limitations. They, they understood their limited resources, but they also understood their limited um, ability, their reason, their experience, and it's basic math, right? To, to look at what you have and look at this crowd and understand that doesn't work. So they were ready for the day to be done. They were ready for supper time, right? They're probably getting hungry themselves. It's, it's been of a bit of a, a long day. And so let's send the crowd away. They can go into the nearby villages. There's probably some um, markets that might still be open or people that are, are, you know, setting up a shop to sell some food. This is how it was in the text in Matthew 14 that Tom read. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away into the villages to buy food for themselves. They should have prepared for themselves. They should have money with them. They can go, and they can purchase what they need. Then Jesus gives them a command. You give them something to eat. They don't need to go away. You feed them. And they respond, well, not directly. <laughs> they don't say, that's absolutely, absolutely impossible, Jesus. But that seems to be their, their mindset, and with good reason, right? There's 5,000 men plus women and children. So estimates of this crowd start at about 10,000 and are maybe 15 or 20,000 people, maybe more, they said to him, verse 17, we have only five loaves here and two fish. They understood their limitation. If you gave me five loaves and two fish and asked me to feed 10,000 or so people, I would say that's impossible. I would say there's, there's no way that this resource reaches the, this crowd. It doesn't work. And if I had to, I would start dividing that food into the smallest, tiniest little bits that I could to demonstrate, like, that. here's what everybody would get. This crumb and this tiny taste, uh, you know, one little, one little bit of fish. That's what people get. So they understood their limitations, but they also had limited, limited expectations of Jesus. At this point, they had already seen some evidence of his divinity. So it's easy for us on this side of it, knowing how things work out, to criticize their lack of faith. To think, why didn't they just say, Jesus, here's the five loaves and two fish. Do what you're going to do. Well, <laughs> they had limited expectations of Jesus. They didn't offer those resources. They only made 
excuses. They only presented what was reasonable. But do we expect God to act powerfully? Before we go too far criticizing these 12 people who were with Jesus, and and maybe there were some other followers along, and and maybe part of the crowd who had already seen him do some, some powerful thing, But would anyone in that crowd, would any of those disciples have expected Jesus to do what he did? Would we expect Jesus to do what he did? Do we expect God to act powerfully? Even with all that we have, our pantry, our refrigerators, our freezers, how many people would I expect to be able to feed if it were up to me? Beyond food, what do we expect from Jesus? In this pandemic time, what are we expecting God to do? What are we expecting Jesus to do? With our relationship issues that we might have, what are we expecting Jesus to do? If you have a job situation that's difficult, what are you expecting Jesus to do? Suffering through loneliness, An illness, what do we expect Jesus to do? Do we expect miracles? Do we expect miracles in our time and in our lives? Or do we think what's possible, what's reasonable? What does experience say? What does our understanding um, expect? I had a conversation um, just about two weeks ago now, and um, this is a person that's uh, that we're close to, a friend, um, not someone who's local. Um, but her brother's ill, and and she was concerned about his his health, his longevity. And wanting, wanting to have hope. But because she's um, a medical professional, she understands with the illness that at that point was a possible diagnosis. It has since been confirmed that there is not a lot of hope. This is a terminal issue that he's dealing with. And so there was this struggle and this balance of expectations based on experience and reason against faith in God to do something, something significant, something miraculous. And it's a struggle for us. It really is. For this group of disciples and for this crowd who didn't expect that Jesus gave a compelling demonstration. Up against their limited expectations, Jesus came and fed the crowd. There was enough for everyone. This is what it says in the end of verse 19 and into verse 20. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. Matthew just puts it out there in a a factual way. 
They all ate and were satisfied. It leaves us in our reasonable minds going, how is that even possible? There have been people who have tried to, tried to describe maybe what really happened in a way that says, Jesus didn't really take five loaves and two fish and feed 10,000 people. There are some people who have suggested, well, the generosity of Jesus and the disciples prompted the crowd to take out food that they had kind of hidden under their clothes, and, and then they ate that and shared that with some people around them. And so then there was enough. Not what the text says. The text doesn't give us any indication that there were any other resources that were used. What it shows us is the power of Jesus, that we can trust in his power. See, it wasn't just that they all ate and were satisfied. It goes on to tell us, and this is the part that I think is just, I think, I think God has a good sense of humor, that there were 12 baskets of leftover pieces. How many disciples? Ah, see what you did there, Jesus? You didn't just feed everybody and every scrap was gone. Then the disciples got to go and each of them take a basket and fill it with the leftovers to show each one of these people in a tangible way that in the hands of Jesus, even a little is more than enough. God is able. Ephesians 3, verse 20. We'll hear this again at the end of our service, but it begins with these words. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. God is able, the Apostle Paul wrote. God is able to do more than we ask. Because a lot of times we ask based on our limited expectations. More than we ask and more than we think. More than we even imagine God can do. We picture a crowd of 10,000 people and a sack lunch and think there's no way. And Jesus is like, mm, leftovers. Y'all can eat that tomorrow. I don't know, fish, mm, maybe not. We can trust in the power of Jesus. What need do we have? There is nothing too hard for God to do, to provide. 5,000 women and children, or plus women and children, 10,000 people or so, that's easy compared to manna every day for half a million. He did that too. God can meet our needs. Now, that's not a guarantee that things will work out exactly how we want. But here's what we can be certain of, a gracious invitation. They had limited expectations. Jesus did an abundant and overwhelming demonstration of his power, and God gives us a gracious invitation to come to him. We can bring our needs to God. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. How often do we have things on our minds, have stress that makes our shoulders do 
uncomfortable things. <laughs> have this feeling that affects the pit of your stomach. How often do we go through day after day with these kinds of thoughts and feelings and burdens and desires and we keep it all locked up inside? Instead of lowered expectations, we can bring those requests to God. How often when we have something we want to do or accomplish, how often do we try to go it alone and do it ourselves and think, oh, it's up to me. We can pray for every need. We can present our requests to God. We can say, Jesus, I don't know how this might work. These are my limited resources here. It's that open-handed move of giving our resources to Jesus, of giving our hearts to him, of giving our lives to him that God wants to see, that God invites us to do. We can bring our needs, our wants, our desires, our goals, our aspirations, our dreams to God and place them in his hands and then step back and see what he will do. We're invited also to serve. We're invited to be part of it, to be part of what God's going to do. I mean, I think that's part of this lesson as well. It's not just that Jesus shows up and provides everything and does everything. No, he wants people involved. He wants you involved in his work, in his mission. In verse 17, they said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And in verse 18, he responded, Jesus responded, bring them here to me. Jesus didn't just rain down manna from heaven. Jesus didn't just, boom, here it is. And all of a sudden, everybody got a box of Chick-fil-A that landed in their lap. Didn't work that way. They started with the resources that came from the disciples. The disciples were involved in this project. They brought the resources to Jesus. Jesus did what he did. The disciples distributed those to the crowd and picked up the leftovers. Jesus wants us involved. He wants us serving. He wants us participating in his work. What do we have to offer? How can it be used by our powerful God? And how can we be involved in his mission? That's what we learn here in this miracle. That God is able. But God wants you to be part of what he's doing. Glory be to Jesus, the powerful one, the one who is able to do more than we ask or imagine.